Maybe it's a classic or maybe a flop. Has Katie seen it? She probably has not. She'll sit down and watch it if it's good or it's bad. Hey, have you seen this? No, Katie hasn't seen that. Hi, I'm Katie, and if I had a nickel for every time someone said to me, wait, you haven't seen this movie? Oh my god, you need to see this movie. I'd be very rich. So this is my podcast, where I finally watch those movies you all have told me I need to see, and I tell you what I think. I am here, and it is now time for movie number four that you as a community voted on for me to watch. And boy, do we have something today that I never thought I'd see. A movie from 2006. We have entered the aughts, which honestly, I only recently found out that the early 2000s are called the aughts. And I kind of hate that, but I don't know what else to call it. So I'm just following suit. I got a movie from 2006 to watch. And I don't know if you know how jazzed I am to not be watching a movie from the 80s, but I'm pretty jazzed. So before we dive in, we all know I got to get that sweet, sweet spoiler warning in here. And uh, we're kind of running low. I know that I had said in the past, there's a lot of words here, but some of these words suck. And you know what? I'm sorry. I looked for words that rhyme with spoiler and one of the rhymes is spoiled her. I'm sorry. That's just rude. So I'm just going to do my best and try to pick out ones that might be okay. So before you work for a multi-employer, beware of spoilers. You see what I'm talking about? I need a catchphrase and I need it quick. I literally need to come up with something. So you know what? Maybe it should just be like, hey, there be spoilers ahead and I'll just be a pirate at the beginning of every episode. Please send me suggestions for a spoiler tag. I need it badly. The Prestige starring Christian Bale, Hugh Jackman, Michael Kine, Michael Kine, a good personal family friend, Michael Kane. Um, David Bowie, Scarlett Johansson. I haven't heard of any of these people. So, I mean, it seems like this is an indie film and it's directed by someone named Christopher Nolan. Again, I've never heard of Christopher Nolan. Definitely has to be an indie director. I hope you know I'm joking. I know Christopher Nolan directed many movies that I have seen. I was hoping there would be like a little kid movie in there, like he directed a Paw Patrol or something and I could make a joke, but... No, he's directed a lot. Let's see how many Christopher Nolan films I've seen. There's quite a few. I have seen Insomnia, of all things. I've seen the Batman movies, The Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises. I've seen Inception. And before you all get mad at me, I've seen part of Interstellar. I got tired and Mark finished watching it, but I did not. So I'm not sure if you all are going to be happy with me about that one. But I I don't even really remember Interstellar. And I feel like people have kind of spoiled it just because of what I, I don't know. I think I know what happens in that movie. So that is actually the ones I've seen by him. I mean, he's also done Tenet and some other movies, which I kind of want to see Dunkirk. Maybe someday I'll see those. I don't know. We'll we'll see how that goes. But he's also done a ton of DC stuff, it looks like. He does it all. What can I say? So yeah, that's what I've seen by Christopher Nolan. I don't know. This is controversial. I don't like Inception. I mean, the whole concept of the end where the top is spinning, 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 and you're like, is it a dream? I don't know. I just didn't really like 
Inception. I liked the loud bong because I think it's funny because they use it in every film now. And I like the idea of it in the dreams that you're in. I just didn't like it. It just didn't mesh with me. I also have a hard time with Leonardo DiCaprio. He just kind of gives me this vibe of someone that I don't personally want to hang out with. I grew up watching him on Growing Pains. Total doll. And then he just kind of, you know, I think I was impressionable at the age when he was in Titanic and then he started to get his fame and all that. And I just don't love Leonardo DiCaprio. I don't think there's anything wrong with him. I just, you know, don't. I'm watching a movie. I'm like, that's Leonardo DiCaprio. And he did a movie called The Departed, which is one of the only movies I no, the only movie I ever walked out of a movie theater. I just don't enjoy Leo DiCap. OK, so there's that, I guess. Uh, I don't, how did we get here? I don't know how we got here. Yeah, but y'all are making me watch this super tiny indie film called The Prestige from 2006. This has been on my list to watch for a very, very long time. We have it on DVD because Mark owned it on DVD and I acquired it through marriage. So maybe, maybe for all time's sake, I'll just watch this on the OG DVD. I hope I didn't just read a spoiler because I kind of read something on the page when I pull up just to see what this movie is. Generally, I don't read synopsis. I don't do any of that. I just try to see if there's the genre and that kind of thing. Who directed it? The ratings, all that kind of stuff. Let me see what genre this movie is. Ah, it is a mystery drama. It's rated PG-13. It is two hours and 10 minutes. Dude, someone needs to check Christopher Nolan. This man just sits down and he's like, is it not at two hours yet? We must film more. He makes such long movies. Nolan, my man, like break him up. You know, like I'll come back in a year and watch the follow-up movie. Make a, make a series, okay? Slap two 90-minute movies together. You might have a fan. Um, I'm just saying that sometimes, I don't know. I seriously think just because of society nowadays, my attention span is not what it used to be. However, if it's a good thing and I'm enjoying it, the two hours and 10 minutes will fly by. So we shall see. What do I think The Prestige is about? For some reason, I have an inkling it's about magicians. I don't know why I think that. I legitimately think this movie is about magicians competing for who's the best magician. I don't know why I think that. And I don't know if that's the case, but I have a feeling it's going to be about who's the most prestigious magician. I think it's set in the past a bit. Like, I think it's set in like the 1920s. So I hope there's a lot of, ah, you see here? We can only hope that that'll be the dialogue we get. I got to close this window because I don't want to read more than I should about this movie. Yeah, Hugh Jackman's wearing like a bowler cap in one of these pictures. So I'm pretty sure got to be a period piece. If not, he's a hipster. Maybe he's getting cold brew. I guess I'm going to find out. I haven't seen a movie with Christian Bale in such a long time, which now I'm like, oh, my God. Is it like one of those directors who casts the same people and everything like Christopher Nolan's like, because Christian Bale was Batman. Um, some might say arguably the best Batman movies. However, there's that new Batman that came out with Robert Pattinson. And people seem pretty stoked on that. However, what happened to Ben Affleck Batman? I didn't see either of those. Um, I have not a lot of interest in it. But I'm very curious why they're going through so many Batmans so quickly. This is not like James Bond where you pass down the lineage 
lineage seems like the wrong word, but also kind of the right one for James Bond. Like it's a new James Bond. Like Batman just seems like whoever like threw their hands up in a meeting, they're like, oh, the guy from Twilight, make him Batman. I don't understand it. They're just pumping these out. Okay. But I haven't seen a movie with Christian Bale in it. And I do love me some Christian Bale. He was in Reign of Fire. I feel like I've seen the most obscure movies and I don't know. They're not obscure. People know what they are. They're just maybe not the most popular. But I love the movie Reign of Fire, which is like a post-apocalyptic future with Matthew McConaughey, Christian Bale and dragons. The greatest thing a young teenage girl could ever want. Okay, so let's see what the prestige made at the box office. Apparently, it had a budget of $40 million. Still, every time I read these numbers, my brain explodes. And then the gross worldwide that it made was $109,676,311. I love that they can almost get exact numbers. Like there's an $11 on the end of that number. That's someone's movie ticket. Like that just blows my mind. So seems like they earned some profit from this movie. I remember this being popular. I don't remember if this was nominated for anything. This feels like a movie that would have been nominated for something. I sneakily think I have a suspicion that I'm confusing it with a movie called The Fountain, which I also have not seen. I think they came out at the same time. That one might be the one about magicians. I don't actually know. So let's see what the ratings are for this movie. It's got a cool eight and a half out of 10 on Internet Movie Database, 76% on Rotten Tomatoes, 66% on TV Guide. All right, TV Guide. Didn't know you still existed, but also just give me my sweet baby Metacritic. Stop throwing these curveballs at me. I got to constantly be opening up new tabs. This one also, surprisingly, Metacritic gave it 66 as well. And last but not least, good old consistent Google users gave it 85%. Is that just the base value or is just as a society, did we all agree that 85% is the number to rate a movie on Google? I'm just saying, I'm noticing a conspiracy theory here. All right, it's time. We're going to dive in. We're going to jump in. I'm going to go watch The Prestige, which I think is about magicians. I hope that there's some making the lady disappear tricks. I'm going to go. I'm going to go watch this, and then I will let you all know what I think. I am back, and I watched The Prestige. All right. We're just going to jump into this. I don't really know where to start besides that there's a lot of ground to cover, I feel like. So why don't we read the synopsis? I found like this is the easiest way than me trying to explain the movie. Just already someone who has figured out how to explain the movie. We're just going to go with that. So I'm going to read the synopsis from Rotten Tomatoes. The Prestige is about an illusion gone horribly wrong pits two 19th century magicians. Alfred Borden and Rupert Angier, 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 I don't know why I read it that way, against each other in a bitter battle for supremacy. Terrible consequences loom when the pair escalates their feud, each seeking not just to outwit, but to destroy the other man. You want a movie about obsession? This is a movie about obsession. Like we start out with Michael Caine talking, which is honestly the best way to start any movie ever. I have a soft spot for Michael Caine because he's in one of my favorite movies of all time, The Muppet Christmas Carol. He played Ebenezer Scrooge and he freaking killed it. 
So I don't know if in just in my formative years, Michael Caine is beloved to me. And there is this joke on my stream. It's not a joke. It's, it's totally not a joke um, that Michael Caine comes and stays with us. And, uh, you know, so I just feel like I have this big old soft spot for Michael Caine. And his voice is just soothing. I just feel like Michael Caine has a presence about him that puts me immediately in a state of everything's going to be good and okay. And specifically with a movie, I'm like, well, you get bonus points because Michael Caine's in it. I think that's a bias, but it's just kind of what it is. The first thing I typed out in my notes was everyone is so cute when I meant to say everyone is so young because this movie's from 2006, right? And everyone is little baboos, little tiny baby people that I don't know about you all, but as I've gotten older, I'm having a harder time watching the celebrities I grew up with age. It's just such a surreal feeling to sit down and see these actors we grew up with just being older. For example, I started watching Murderville on Netflix. The show is okay. I don't love it, but I love a lot of the people on it. Will Arnett is the main dude in it. And also they've had guest stars like Sharon Stone, um, Conan O'Brien, people like that. And I was just watching it and I, I had this moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, we're all getting older. Like Will Arnett is getting older. Conan O'Brien is getting older. And there's nothing wrong with it. And I'm not sitting here like judging them for whatever, but just that I, I had this like deeply felt moment where I'm like, these actors I love and enjoy are getting older, and so am I. And it makes me feel weird sometimes. Just seeing specific people in a movie from 2006 almost feels like time travel. It literally feels so weird sometimes to watch things and just know like this was a moment captured in time on film that preserved a part of their life and a stretch of time in their lives. And it was just, it breaks my mind. And I think that when I watch some things, because in 2006, I was just starting out my life. Like I was becoming a young adult and I was about to take on the world. So 2006, Katie was a huge movie buff, loved movies and watching lots of weird, different movies. Okay. I don't want you to be coming for me. Like, well, you have a podcast called Katie Hasn't Seen That but you haven't seen some of these things. It's true. I did. I watched a lot of movies. I loved movies. I've loved movies forever. And I feel like 2006 was me starting out in the world. And this movie was on my radar, but I never saw it. And so now that I'm watching it, it's from such a visceral time in my life because it was a pivotal year in my life. 2006 was a big year for me. And I don't know how to feel about that. Okay. So essentially y'all made me watch a movie that's making me have an existential crisis. Okay. I'm mostly kidding, but it's just started the gears turning and I cannot be the only person that feels this way. Even if I've not made any sense, which hopefully I have, does anybody feel that way when you see these actors you grew up with just start to become older and it makes you realize that life is fragile and we're all going to get older and that's terrifying at times, but it also is kind of comforting to be like these people that have been weirdly constant in my life 
like specific actors that you enjoy. Oh my gosh, I just had a whole moment that I'm going to have a full breakdown when certain actors pass away. But you know what? We're not going to go there. <laughs> uh, we're going to just, I, you know what? My brain just went to a million different places. What I'm trying to say is that it's interesting because I've reached a point in my life where I'm starting to notice that everybody's growing up and it's terrifying. It's truly terrifying sometimes. And it means that I'm also growing up. So if you ever have felt this way, just know you're not alone. We're all growing up together. And let's talk about the prestige now. And we're going to just tuck that little, that little crises in our back pocket. Okay. We're just going to tuck that away. So yes, everybody looking fresh, everybody looking cute at the beginning of the prestige. It was kind of fun though, to see everybody in this movie, because like I had mentioned, 2006 was a big year for me. And the way that they looked in this film is so viscerally burnt into my brain, these specific actors, because let's be real. Hugh Jackman is a huge actor. Christian Bale, huge actor. Michael Caine, big bada boom. Scarlett Johansson, um, Piper Paraboo, all these people are big actors. <laughs> Piper Paraboo, I had never seen anything really with her in it. And when I visited my friend in Colorado this last fall, we just watched Coyote Ugly. She had seen it and she's like, you've never seen Coyote Ugly? So I watched Coyote Ugly with her. And you know what? That movie was essential rom-com. Is it a rom-com? Coming of age story. It felt very much like those movies I should have watched growing up, but I wasn't allowed to. Like people becoming their own strong ass women. And uh, I didn't really watch those. I wasn't allowed to. So watching Coyote Ugly was kind of cathartic in some ways. I mean, it wasn't anything to write home about, but I didn't hate it. So yeah, Piper Paraboo is also in The Prestige. Who would have thought? Not me. The movie also starts out with we get a little glimmer of the special effects. And let me tell you, this movie has quintessential 2006 lightning. If you know what I'm talking about, there's special effects has this progression over the years. Like you can tell when it's 80s special effects. You can tell when it's 90s special effects. You can tell when it's 2000, early 2000s uh, special effects. And boy, this movie had some early 2006 lightning and it was uh, pretty great because this is where special effects is kind of at a turning point. It's starting to look more real and it's the calm before the storm, if you will. It's before special effects, I think, really started to take over everything in film. I appreciate this kind of special effect. It just it brings me mummy vibes just kind of like, you know, it's a special effect. There's something like special and nostalgic about it. So there's lots of 2006 lightning in this very chef's kiss. Uh, I was not expecting a murder. You know, we start this movie out with a suspected murder. Borden is being framed for it because we find out later on that this was Angier's. Oh, my gosh. The amount of twists and turns in this movie. Can we please tell Christopher Nolan to calm down a little bit? Just just a little bit, just just to tone it back a little bit. Sometimes less is more. The movie starts with all the lightning and uh, essentially I'm just going to get to it. It's this Tesla machine that duplicates Angier and he has this crazy trick where he technically duplicates himself and kills himself in a trick box of water. I don't remember what it's called, but trick box of water seems like the right thing to call it. And then he appears up in the balcony and then the audience goes, ooh, ah, but then he's essentially killing himself over and over and over again. But it's for the craft, okay? 
sometimes magic in the early 19th century is all you have. And with men as obsessed as Borden and Angier, I won't lie. I'm not that passionate about magic. I've been to magic shows. I enjoy it. I like to see someone do a little bit of the, oh, where's your card? Or, you know, that good old David Copperfield kind of tricks. I was curious. They gave away some secrets in this movie, I feel like, for some special tricks. Like, was the magic community just like super pissed off about that? On a quick Google search, I cannot confirm nor deny that the magic community was upset about this film. I'm assuming like since these are tricks from way back in the day that nobody was like, hey, hey, my ring trick is no one catches a bullet nowadays. Well, that's not true. Doesn't Chris Angel catch a bullet in his mouth? Am I making all of this up? Listen, I am not someone who you should trust with facts about magic and the magic community, but I know a lot of the magicians. What happened to that one guy, David Blaine? Man, there was an era in our lives, or at least my life, where there was magic was big. Maybe that's why they made this film. They're like, oh, we got to get on that magic train because that Chris Angel and that David Blaine are really blowing up right now. This is full of tangents today. I just looked up the Cheez-Its video. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google David Blaine Cheez-Its. Cheez-Its. I, I, please tell me you have seen this. Um, man, that unlocked a memory in me that honestly lives rent-free forever, I think, in my brain. I'll be on my deathbed and I'll be thinking about Cheez-Its. Cheez-Its. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, please Google it. Just pause it. I mean, if you're driving, don't. But if you're somewhere, just like look that video up and uh, tell me what you think. It is in like 480p. I don't think it comes in anything higher than that. So be warned about that. Also, I just realized that it's Mikey Day in that video who is on SNL. And I know he's been in a ton of other things, but my brain just broke again. So I guess the prestige is supposed to be mind blowing film, but it's also breaking my brain in other ways as well. So that's fun for me. Um, All right. We learned about one magic trick in this, which is where the bird, the bird cage thing where it smashes the bird and then there's two birds and one bird dies. I don't like that. Okay, I did not like that. Apparently, that's a real trick from back then, which I guess is what you got to do if you want to be a fucking magician, which is it worth that? Apparently for some people. But then later on, Michael Caine's character is pretty much just like the backstage magician guru man. And he came up with the way to do a bird trick where you don't kill a bird. However, let me just say, Borden and Angier literally sabotage each other for the entire movie. But let's start at the beginning, okay, or near the beginning. You know, Angier and Borden and Cutter are all, Cutter is Michael Caine's character, all hanging out, working for this other magician guy. Piper Paraboo is Angier's wife, which let me tell you, oh, Piper Paraboo's character is like the magic girl, the assistant, and she gets lowered into the cage of water. I don't know what that's called. Does it have a name? I just looked up. Wikipedia says it's called Chinese water torture cell. I don't know what it's called, but it's the big tank of water and her name's Julia. That's the character's name. She's supposed to get a knot tied. And Angier and Borden at this point are plants in the audience, which, spoiler alert, apparently magic has plants in the audience. I think we all kind of knew that. Does that mean the people just sit in the crowd every night 
just waiting until they get picked for the planting. That just seems like I hope I know they got paid in this movie for doing it, but I hope that it's worth it. I hope that it's worth their time because, I mean, you watch something enough times, you're going to get sick of it. You know, if you just go up for one thing and in this case, Borden and Andrew go on the stage to tie knots on Julia's arms and legs. This is also where Angier, Hugh Jackman's character, kisses Piper Parabu's leg. And I really freaked out and wrote my notes. What a creep. Come to find out later, that's his wife and their plants in the crowd. So it's less creepy. But at the moment, I didn't know that. And I was just like, what a creep. What a creep. You know, let's just fast forward a bit. Borden, who's played by Christian Bale. Borden's kind of the worst the entire time. I didn't, I never liked him. I was never like, this character has some redeeming qualities. No, I just, he has an off-putting personality the entire movie. And he's just talking about, I know the right knots to tie. All these knots we should tie. And Julia's kind of like, yeah, we should try some different knots. And both Cutter and Angie are like, no, we shouldn't. I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, she's going to die. This is going to be a common thing you're going to hear. This movie was really predictable to me. Okay. I feel like I predicted almost everything that happened. And I know some of you might be saying weird flex, Katie, but okay. I just felt like the movie was really predictable. So I was like, okay, so Julia's going to die because guess what? They changed the knot on stage. I guess Julia and Borden were like, yeah, let's do the different knot. Guess who dies? Julia. Julia dies. They can't get her out of the tank in time. She died really fast. I mean, I've never held my water for my my water, my breath underwater for a very long stretch of time. But I think when you're panicked and stuff, there's more chance of like inhaling water and stuff. And that would be a very scary way to go. And this is also like the start of the rivalry because you know what? Borden kind of killed his wife. And I This is where I'm like, is Borden kind of a psychopath? Does he not have the same emotional capacity to like deal with his emotions? But also we find out like, okay, here's the thing. We know Borden is kind of like a twin, right? He's got his twin brother. When Fallon came in the picture, who I I always just called him Jimmy Fallon because, you know, I'm really original. But there's this Fallon character who never talks and has a funny little disguise on. I mean, I know it's not supposed to be disguised. It's supposed to be like, look at this is my henchman Fallon. I'm like, oh, that's going to end up being like his twin. Because later on, there's Scarlett Johansson's character who is like an assistant to Angier. And Angier sends her to Borden to figure out his secret to his tricks or a specific trick, which is the whole plot of this movie essentially is going in one door and coming out the other. So she had mentioned at one point, there's a bunch of like disguises just hidden and I found them. And so I was like, oh, Fallon's got to be like a brother or something. So that turns out to be true. But essentially the rivalry starts because, you know, Borden ties this knot, Julia dies. Um, Andrew's pretty upset about it. I don't, know if you know this but he was pretty upset that his wife died and there's this moment too at the funeral where cutter says to him that drowning feels like going home that's what he had been told and then later on there is a line i have to say i think michael kane was the best part of this movie which you could say that about any movie he's in 
But I think when I get to my rating later, I will explain some things. And then the rest of this movie is Borden starts doing magic on his own. Angier starts doing magic on his own. They're both doing fine. But then Borden has this trick where he goes in one door and he comes out the other. We find out later, you know, it's just his twin all along. They commit to the act. Magic was everything to them. So they committed to this lifestyle of just being magic men to the end, which, you know, I guess it kind of makes sense. Seems like a miserable life to me, but, you know, magic. But Angier becomes obsessed with figuring out how Borden does this trick. And they come up with their own way of doing it. They go out and try to recreate this magic trick that Borden's doing. And they do a good job. They find a drunk man who looks identical to Hugh Jackman. Like, excuse me, you're going to tell me I could just go out and find somebody who looks identical to me, who's just the only different character trait is that they're an out-of-work actor who's drunk? I'm sorry. They should have gotten another actor to play that part who, like, looked kind of different. Like, it didn't, that was weird to me. It was a weird choice to go, like, this person we found is identical to Hugh Jackman. Didn't love that. Didn't love that choice. But even with their great trick that has flair and pizzazz, uh, Angier just becomes obsessed with figuring out how this trick is done. All while there's a lot of timey-wimey stuff. They're jumping all over the place. They're going back in time. They're going forward in time. They're going everywhere. Borden's in prison because Borden was under the stage when one of these doubles was drowning at Angier's show. And so, in a way, Angier framed Borden for murder because Borden did actually try to get him out of that big old glass bucket water trick because it locked at the top on purpose because he was killing his doubles. I guess not his doubles. He was just killing himself every time. For the craft, everybody. For the magic. I'm realizing there's a lot of death in this movie. The birds, the wives, the duplicates. There's just a lot of death. Okay. Magic kills, y'all. Magic kills. Borden goes on to find a lady and falls in love. And they have a little girl who comes up and is a very big plot point in this film. I feel like the little girl is the only thing that Borden cares about. But what's interesting is we find out later that because Borden's kind of living a double life with his twin, which means, oh, my God, they were mm, one of them was in love with this character named Sarah And one was in love with the assistant, Olivia. And so when they're switching back and forth, like one of them was always with either the girl they loved or the girl they didn't love. And that's just kind of up. Were they like just sleeping with each other's ladies? And like they were just like, for the magic, this is what needs to happen. You know, it's just a weird choice. I mean, there's dedication to your craft and then there's just psychological warfare because Sarah, the lady that one of them fathered a child with, kills herself, like hangs herself in his workshop. So there are like casualties of war here. And all while, this is the other thing too, these two people, Andrew and Borden, are so obsessed with each other. Like Borden is going to do a catch the bullet trick. But Angier gets picked from the crowd, so he ends up shooting off some of Borden's fingers, which then, I guess Borden 1 and Borden 2, they had to cut off both of, uh, like, two fingers got blown off by the gun. So then the twin, lucky twin, had to get his fingers chopped off to match the other twin because, you know, 
it's for the craft. So then Borden obviously wants revenge. So he goes to one of Angier's concerts and there's this new bird trick that Cutter comes up with where the bird doesn't get hurt. But since Angier got picked from the crowd, the bird got hurt. So, you know, it's just a bunch of petty rivalry stuff. Then Borden creates this amazing trick and Angier becomes obsessed with it. That's the whole plot of the movie. They have journals because obviously they would get each other's journals to read. One was in code from Borden, which Angier finally figured out because he got the secret passcode. The movie is a lot of them reading each other's journals throughout it. Andy Serkis is in this as well. So my precious. I'm sure he doesn't ever get sick of people saying my precious to him. But Andy Serkis is in this. Also, David Bowie is Nikola Tesla. I don't love this in movies. They have... Tesla in this and then they also have illusions that Edison is in it as well and I don't like when movies put actual historical figures in things that are not true it's just a me thing like I started the new season of American Horror Story part one was fine there's like fish people in it that was fun and then there was the second half and there was something with Amelia Earhart in the first episode and I just noped out I literally was like I can't do this I'm just not gonna do this With this, I kind of felt like, I really wish that they didn't. I don't know. I guess it was a mechanism to make the plot points happen so that he could have his magic lightning, 2006 lightning, duplicate him. I just, I don't know. I'm not a fan of like when movies put historical figures in them in a fictional way. The only movie I'll make an excuse for for that is Inglorious Bastards. They're even playing tricks on each other with these journals And when there's that big reveal that this journal's a fake from Borden with Angier, that's when I decided this movie was too long. Like there's sometimes there's a point where I hit movie fatigue and I was like, all right, I I was pretty into this movie. Like I felt like, all right, this is shot well. I'm interested in what's going to happen. But there was that wall I hit where I'm like, this movie's too long. It was a little self grandiose and it just kind of, you know, it, it just it was a little long. Okay, and so by the for the last like 30 minutes, that's when I was like, okay, let's just wrap this up. All right. I don't know the best way to wrap up my discussion of this movie. Like I've kind of hit all the important plot points. The end of this movie is essentially like Cutter was working with Angier most of this time. And then Cutter felt betrayed because Cutter finds out that, oh, the big thing. And you're still alive. Called that too. I was like, oh, he's duplicating himself because we find that out. And I was like, oh, he's still alive. This was like a big thing to get Borden framed, I think. Maybe not to get him framed, but just so that he can do his big last trick and go do whatever he wants. But I was like, he's not dead. Like, I knew that from the beginning. I was like, it's magic. He's probably still alive. So Angier's still alive. It's this whole big thing. I think for Angier to feel like he won against Borden. And Borden is sentenced to being hanged to death. And that does happen, but... This is also when the reveal of Fallon, who is actually Borden number two, shows up and shoots Angier. And I think the whole point is that Cutter realized that Angier was doing the bads, like not really being a good person. To be honest, Borden and Angier were both not very good people. But I think Cutter somehow told Borden number two and then Borden number two shows up and shoots Angier. They both have moments of just staring and talking and dear dies Borden gets to be with which one of the Bordens gets to be with the daughter 
And I think Cutter has the best line because you can tell like this is where Cutter feels betrayed. At the funeral, he said to Angier, like, drowning feels like you're going home. And he says, that's actually not true. It's actually agony. And he walks away. So, you know, this movie is just kind of like nobody wins, which I think is the point. All is not fair in magic. Okay. And then we also get that big reveal of like, why was he keeping all of his dead bodies? Like as trophies? Like he kept all of his dead floaties in the water cage boxes. All of the duplicates in this basement of this giant house. They were both doing really well for themselves. Like they were both having successful sold out shows in early 1900s doing well. And they just it was never enough. So as you can tell, there are so many twists. There's so many turns, so many misdirects. But I'm going to say it. This movie was predictable. Like I called a lot of this stuff. And I mean, again, not to be like, I'm so smart. I know what Nolan was doing. It was just, you know, it was kind of predictable a little bit. Am I the only one that feels that way? This movie was kind of predictable. Also, Nolan has such an MO at this point. Like I expect if I ever watch a Nolan film, I'm like, oh, he's going to do the thing. Up oh, here comes the moment where he does the thing. And Mark watched this movie with me. He had seen it years ago. And he was like, man, this movie felt like at the end, this is not a good example, but it's like they smelt their own fart and they were like proud of it. <laughs> it was very smug at the end. It was very much like a, hey, did you see what we did? Uh, you could feel, you could feel the pretentious prestige coming off of this movie, which, you know, I guess some movies just got that stank on them. And this one has a little bit of that stank on it. Also, I have to say, like, the fake mustaches and hair were, like, a big thing. Like, they were always doing disguises. But I will say, like, it looked fake. But I couldn't tell if that was on purpose or not. Like, the fake hair always looked kind of bad. But I think that was on purpose? I don't know. This movie was just a little too long. At some moments where it kind of just felt very self-important. I think that's kind of the point. So I can't really fault it for that. So what did I think of The Prestige? I liked it, but I feel like it's one of those movies, again, that I don't want to watch again. And it just dragged on. It was slow moving and slow to get done. And sometimes, even if there's stuff I like in a movie, it kind of ruins that for me because I get so fatigued by the length. I don't know if that's a me problem. But I also don't want to always blame myself for these things because I'm like, you know what? These movies are too long sometimes. They could take things out or, you know, maybe not have five plot twists at the end. You know, just saying, I know how much time that must have taken to interweave those moments together and drop the hints, which helped me predict some of the things. It's one of those things where I wanted to like it more than I did. However, huh. I gave, well, I'll give this movie a rating. I originally gave it a plus one point because Michael Caine, obviously. Michael Caine was the best part of this movie. The best character, best lines, best delivered lines, best character, hands down. So I gave it a plus one. But then as we're going through the movie, gave it a negative one for the length. It just started, I hit that wall. So I gave it a negative one for that. So the movie rating for The Prestige is... 7.5 out of 10 big predictable reveals. Like it was a decent movie. It was a, it was, 
I'm hesitant to say good for some reason. I liked it enough. That's the best way I could put it. Like, I liked it enough, you know? So, yeah, that's my thoughts on The Prestige. If you've seen The Prestige, please tell me what you think. Tell me what your thoughts are. Did you predict the endings? I said endings because there were multiple. Tell me what about The Prestige did you enjoy if you liked it or if you hated The Prestige? I want to know why. Give me the deets. Okay, tweet at me. Comment on this. Tell me everything, okay? I literally fired up recording this and I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to talk about with this movie. I didn't take as much notes as I normally do because I will say like when I started the movie, I was actually just kind of enjoying watching it. So I just wasn't picking up my phone to make as many notes as I normally do. And I was like, I'm going to have nothing to talk about. And here we are many minutes later, but we still got some trivia to go over. Some of this movie took place in Colorado or, you know, allegedly Colorado because that's where Angier went to go find out more about Tesla. So when this character arrives in Colorado Springs, he's actually arriving at the Darien Ranch in the town of Marble in western Colorado where The Prestige was filmed. I used to love looking up when I was younger where movies were filmed. So apparently this was filmed in Colorado. The main ranch house and barns were digitally erased and train tracks added since there are no train tracks located at this ranch. And I thought this was interesting. Apparently, the editing in this film has 146 time jump cuts, which averages out to almost one timeline jump per minute of movie. This movie is all over the place. They're jumping back. They're jumping forward. They're jumping together. It's got a lot of jump cuts. Very impressive to the editor to put all of this together in a cohesive way. Also, the writing, all of it. It would take a lot of work, okay? I get it. It was a good, they did some good stuff here, okay? Well, well, well. We meet again. Hi, it's me, Future Katie. Reading comments from you about last time's, last time's? Last time's episode. Yeah, that seems like it flows. I am here to read some comments about Big Trouble in Little China, the episode that just came out last time's. We're going to go with it. I hope you enjoyed this episode on The Prestige, and I'm super excited to see what you all have to say about this movie. It was fun reading the comments for Big Trouble in Little China because there's a lot of fans of this movie. It's a popular one. So let's just get right into it. First up is a comment from YouTube from The Mad Pizzler, who said, This is my favorite movie of all time. The viewer shares the same what the F is going on with the main character, and the movie goes from 1 to 100 and doesn't stop. It's an amazing homage to martial arts flicks and Pulp Fiction stories. I'm sorry you found the writing lacking, but it was all intentional to play slash have fun with old school movie tropes. And besides, how many movies have the ovaries to fool the audience into believing the main character is the hero? Jack was the sidekick. This movie isn't supposed to be viewed as anything other than fun time. On the kissing, they make fun of your point internally to the movie. There's the initial kiss for the romance, but at the end, when Jack's leaving, the kiss is refused. There's a bazillion little tropes dissect in this film. I think if I had the time to like sit down and like pause frame by frame or scene by scene and kind of like dig into things more, I probably would find a lot of fun stuff in a lot of the movies I watch. So it's always interesting to have you all like, hey, I know a little bit about this movie or I want to share my thoughts and helps me think about it in a different way. So I really appreciate that. I can see the tropes that maybe were played into and on a first watch, like with a almost reaction based podcast, sometimes I don't see some of those things. So I appreciate you pointing them out. 
We got another comment from M saying, gotta love Kurt Russell just yelling everything he says at you with a laughing emoji. And I can't disagree with that, but it was also kind of fun in the movie. It kind of worked. We have another comment coming in hot from Twitter from Jerome Dudek, who said, that was one of the most fantastic movies I've ever seen, and I really do hope they never remake it. Hollywood loves to remake stuff, but somehow this movie has not been remade. So let's keep our fingers crossed that they don't, because I think sometimes when you revamp a movie, it loses its charm or it just kind of feels like stale and unnecessary to put new people into the roles. I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of remakes myself. The only remake, which is still like not even a full remake, is The Mummy from 1999. I talk about The Mummy way too much, but that movie is an original, I don't know, series, idea, concept, IP from 1932. So that makes sense to me. Now I'm kind of curious to read the synopsis of the 1932 movie. So hold on. Okay, this is The Mummy 1932. A team of British archaeologists led by Sir Joseph Wemple discover the mummified remains of the ancient Egyptian prince Emotep, along with the legendary scroll of Thoth. I think I'm saying that right. When one of the archaeologists recites the scroll aloud, Emotep returns to life, but escapes. Several years later, Emotep has taken on the guise of a wealthy man as he searches Egypt for his lost love, who he believes has been reincarnated as the lovely Helen Grosvenor. Oh my god, it is kind of like a remake. Baby, I take it back. The Mummy did a great job. Now I kind of want to watch The Mummy from 1932. Have any of you watched The Mummy from 1932? Is that one worth me watching or am I just going to kind of be sad? Should I just keep my 1999 Mummy on its pedestal? All right. And last but not least, I asked in the Big Trouble in Little China episode if I should watch The Ring and Kellerax responded with, no, don't watch The Ring, LOL. And I said, LMAO, that bad? Question mark. And Kellerak said, no, not really. I just don't like scary movies. So those are the comments. There were a lot this last episode. I really appreciate reading what you guys think about these movies, things I may have missed, nuances, all that. Keep them coming. And I will have more comments for you in the next episode about The Prestige. So keep them coming, everybody. All right. I will catch you all in the next episode. If you want to hang out with me more, or if you just want to yell at me for my thoughts on a specific movie, I stream over on Twitch at www.twitch.tv slash katiepetersplays. If you'd like to support the podcast and buy me a coffee to fuel my reviews, you can over on Ko-fi at www.ko-fi.com slash katiepetersplays. You can join my Discord to discuss the movies I review with other Katie Hasn't Seen That fans by visiting discordapp.com slash invite slash katiepetersplays. If you enjoy Katie Hasn't Seen That, please leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps others find the show. Also, feel free to follow and chat with me on Twitter at PlayKatiePlay and on Instagram and YouTube at KatiePetersPlays. Music written and performed by Mark Can Do It, Katie Hasn't Seen That is a part of the Geek Generation Network.